I come to you and I honestly speak this message not to that which is well. Because that which is well doesn't really need a physician. That which is whole does not need a physician. But there may be some areas in you that are infected or affected by what we're going to be talking about today, which is the spirit of heaviness. And I want to help anyone and everyone that understands that at some point in your life, you've realized that the struggle is real. I struggled honestly with thinking about preaching this. I even put a survey out on our uh, private Facebook group. I'm like, Lord, how many of our church really even have the spirit of heaviness? But I got to thinking that there's probably some people in this room that know how to have a great laugh, but they just can't seem to hold on to it. I believe that there are people in this church that know how to have a good time. But sometimes it's hard to keep it. I I believe there are people in our church that experience moments of happiness and moments of contentment. But then they sink into the despair of their predicament and and their life. I honestly believe that we have people in this church right now that know what it's like to ache inside of their soul and aspirin can't even touch it. And maybe you'd be like, I ain't got none of that. Well, I promise you, live life long enough and and I believe we will all experience a spirit of heaviness in our time. If anybody's in this room that has ever thought, you know, I've been praying for this, I've been praying for this, and I've been praying for this, and you thought, I guess I'm just never going to get it, this message is for you. Because I believe we have some believers in our church and in the church of America that are drowning in situations that Christ has honestly given us the ability to walk on top of. When we look at Jesus walking on the water, he he looked at Peter and the disciples and said, Oh, ye of little faith. I believe what he was honestly telling Peter is, Man, you are sinking in something that you should be walking over top of. So I've been wondering over the past several months, maybe even the past eight years, is there anybody sinking in something that they have literally the power to walk over top of? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' mighty name, we come to you as we dive into the Word of God. And we just pray, Father God, that you would do a tremendous work over the next two Sundays. That you would do something so incredible that we are we'll hear testimonies about it. I know we don't always hear testimonies, but you send people to to, to share with us, just like somebody shared with me just the other day, that they know of somebody in the church that heard a message that was preached at Northfield that radically transformed their lives. So Father God, I pray that we would be more vocal about those words that radically transform our lives to others, to this community even to their own pastor, to let him know, you know what, you're getting through. So, Father, use me today to take your word to get through this spirit of heaviness that may be on somebody in this room. It's definitely heavy in this community, and I know it can affect us all. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 19. Let's look at verse 1 through 2. 
It says, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. What she was trying to say is when I am finished with you, I'm going to bring you down so low that I'm going to make your life as if you were a dead man. And I'm here today to tell you that events have power and words have power. Circumstances and situations have power because they plant seeds. People can say stuff to you and that seed that is planted has power because words, situations, and events have power. Look at verse 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he, this is important, you might want to underline it in your Bible. I'll only touch on it briefly. He left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush sat under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Basically, he thought that the broom bush experience was a good time to exit. I'm no rocket scientist, but I believe he had a spirit of heaviness upon him at the broom bush tree. Verse 5 through 7, Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Somebody say, get up. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank. Oh, watch that. And then he lay down again. Hmm. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. And what did he say again? Ain't that something. Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. Church, this morning the struggle is real. There is something called the spirit of heaviness and we're going to combat it over the next two Sundays. Amen? You know, what is interesting to me is God said, let us, somebody say us. Let us make man in our, somebody say our. Let us make man in our likeness, in our image, after our own kind. God spoke of himself in pluralities. He made a single person, and that single person was made up of plural deposits. And I think that's what we have to understand is we are made up of plural deposits. I am not necessarily a trichotomy type of believer, but to make it simple for all of us, all of us in this room has a body, we have a spirit, and we have a soul. If you build up your spirit, but you let your body go down, you can be the greatest man or woman of God on planet earth. You can quote the scriptures, have a great anointing, and have great power, but you may not have the strength to deliver it. You could be the person that builds up your body and you are ripped and you are built and you're strong and you're tough and you have great strength. But like an empty wagon, there is no content in the container because you're neglecting your spirit. So our spirit is literally the part of us that will never, ever die. It will live on forever. The only thing that gets old on any of us is our body. 
the body lives inside of this, uh, or excuse me, the body is the tent that the spirit lives in, and this body, though I don't like to admit it, eventually caves in, but the spirit lives on forever. We have a residence inside of our body, and that is our spirit. So the body on the notes, or in, uh, on the screen, you can put it in your notes, the body gives us world consciousness. That is why I can tell when I walk outside in my shorts that it's cold outside and I need to go back and put something else on, amen? I know when I walk out in my fur coat, which I don't have one, and it's hot, then I need to go back in and put on my shorts. So, so that gives me world consciousness. When you touch me, I feel you. So, so that gives me a, a, a sense of what's going on in the world. That's why dead people never complain that it's too cold in the church. They don't complain that it's too hot in the box. You may touch them in the casket, but they can't feel it. Your body, when it dies, it loses world consciousness, but you did not lose consciousness. Matter of fact, there's a scripture in the Bible that the man, while he's in hell, he says, I lifted up my eyes in hell because I was in such torment and I asked for a little bit of water to cool my brow. Now, the brow that he was talking about was dead in the box, okay? But he still had spirit consciousness. He did not have world consciousness. Are you with me? So in, 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 in my body, I have world consciousness, but on the screen, in my spirit, I have God consciousness. That's really what we need when we come here and we worship and we listen to the word because my spirit connects to his spirit. It is deep calling out to deep. When you really have that spiritual thing going on in your life, worship then becomes your burden lifter. Worship then becomes your yoke breaker. If you can really get that spiritual thing going on in prayer and in worship, it lifts burdens, it breaks yokes. Because worship is reaching out from the essence of my being to a God that is a spirit. And that's why the Bible says the Father searches this earth for those that worship Him in spirit and in truth. So in my body, I have world consciousness. In my spirit, I have God consciousness. And neither of those two are our problems today. Because our problem lies in the fact of our soul. Somebody say soul. On the screen, my soul is what gives me self-consciousness. Now the reason I don't believe in a trichotomy being because it's in our soul that it is a multiplicity of things in our soul. It is a cesspool of things that are going on in my soul. Matter of fact, the reason that people get worried is they allow their worry to smother them and, and what happens is our self-consciousness becomes bigger than our God-consciousness. And if we ever get to the point that we lose sight of our name and we begin to focus on His name, that worry will lift off of our lives. Amen? The problem is, is we get so focused on us. The reason you're worried is your mind begins to engulf your spirit. And if you want to operate as a Christian, your spirit needs to engulf your mind and subdue that worry and bring every thought captive to the mind of Christ. Are you with me this morning? Okay. So write this down in your notes on the screen. You can master any situation if you can master yourself. Because in my soul lives my memory. 
the good, the bad, and them ugly ones. How many of you got some ugly memories? I got tons of them. In my soul is where my affections lie, where my passions lie, where my desires lie, where my heart lies, and literally all of that lives in the mind. So your passion to succeed or fail at anything is right here between your ears. That is why some of you in this room can think yourself happy. And that is why some of you in this room can think yourself so down and so low that ain't nobody can pick you up. Some of you can think yourself out. Some of you can think yourself up. But what we have to understand that it becomes a little bit more complicated as a believer because now in our mind we got God and the devil fighting over our thought life. And here's what you need to know. If you don't know anything else today, I hope you catch this and I'll probably say it 452 times before the end of the day. And all the new people are like, I thought service was over at 1130. <laughs> On the screen, whatever happens in your head... That is your reality. And that's what the devil wants to put in your brain. He wants to put something in your head that is false that drives the reality of your life. That's why he battles your brain to try to get you to not think like God and get to get you your self-conscious working where it rises above the God-consciousness. And I'm telling you, it's a constant battle. It's like the little old cartoon where the angel is sitting on one shoulder and the devil's sitting on the other shoulder. And, and whether you realize it or not, they go to work with you. They go into your home with you. And I can guarantee how they come into the church with you. You want to know? They were talking to you today. Here's what happened. You all stood up and the angel stood up and the devil stood up and all of a sudden, the angel was just lost in worship. And the little devil said, how many times are we going to sing that one song? I get it. I get it. Would she just quit and close it out? I want to sit down. That's what the devil was saying on the other side of your ear. Are you with me today? So they follow you. But the problem is, is what you don't understand is there is a constant pull and a constant tug for your mind. And your mind gets tired. Your mind gets tired. It is fighting when you're asleep. It is fighting when you're awake. It is fighting at work. It's fighting right now in the church. It's going to fight you when you get home. And, and, and the battle between the two extremes of God and the devil and then bring in your own thoughts, your mind gets tired. Somebody say tired. So I don't care who you are. There are going to be times that your mind is up under such attack that it doesn't matter how many zeros you've got in your bank account. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you can quote at the devil. You can still have a spirit of heaviness, feel the spirit of life, and you feel in that moment of time like just giving up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Any real people in the house today? And you can be spiritual, you can be secular, you can be a believer, you can be a, a non-believer and still have a spirit of heaviness. But this is where I think it's worst, right in this church right now. 
It is worse when you are a Christian. You want to know why? Because we feel obligated to hide it. Do you know why we hide it? We don't want God to look bad. Because after all, we're supposed to have the victory, the abundant life. So we hide it to where God won't look bad. So let's do some correction in our thinking. Are you ready? Let's correct some thinking here. Let's allow the mind to be part of the body again. What do you mean, pastor, allow the mind to be part of the body again? I believe there are a lot of us in this room that we divorce the mind from being part of our body. It's this, this nebulous thing that, that takes place. But understand this. If your body does not create the insulin that it needs to process and break down sugars, guess what you do? You subsidize it. Any diabetics in the house that do that? Okay, you subsidize that. You help it. And then you think nothing of it because you're chemically supplying what your body needs. If you have hypertension and uh, 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 things are not regulated properly, you'll have high blood pressure, you begin to endanger the heart. So what do the doctors do? They control that with medicine. And look at me. The mind is no different, y'all. The mind is no different. But as Christians, when something is not secreting in our head, uh, Sister Susie, will you pray for me? And we think that if we just pray hard enough, the mind will start secreting what it needs. No. Look at the screen. When will we ever understand that the mind is part of the body and it needs help to function? Look at the screen. The mind is part of our body and it needs medicine. It needs help to function. And I'm going to give you some ways to help it function. The first thing you got to understand is that God said there was something in the Bible that was not good. Out of all the things that he created, he, he said, you know what, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. So God wasn't just talking about marriage. God wasn't just talking about relationship. God wasn't talking in that moment just about sex. What God was talking about is the innate need in all of us to communicate. Somebody say communicate. communicate. To talk. To process things. To air things out. How many of you have prayed to God and then went to somebody and started airing out the same thing? But just you? And, and, okay. Because other people don't pray. Right? So here, here's the deal, is, is sometimes God's just not enough. I, I know you, 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 oh, he's more than enough, Pastor. But sometimes we need people to talk things over with. But the problem is, is do you really talk? Do you really, really talk? Do you have a confidence that you can go to and say, this is the rated R version of me. I don't let anybody else see this part of me, but this is who I am. I'm a mess and I need some help. I'm talking about really talking. We have to have that. And I know we have to have that because Elijah called fire down from heaven, y'all. But he still didn't have anybody to talk to. 
I got you to underline in your Bible, and he left his servant behind. A servant would have been with him, would have been his confidant, would have been his armor bearer, would have been his friend, would have been somebody he could trust, somebody that he talked to. He left him behind. And remember I told you the enemy's number one objective is whatever happens in your mind. That is your reality. He said all the prophets are gone. What? You're not basing your thinking on facts right now because there are 7,000 prophets. But listen to me, when you don't have nobody, it's like you're the only one on planet Earth. Am I being real today? Look at what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians on the screen. We were under great pressure. Somebody say pressure. First is we get all alone. We isolate ourselves. Second, the pressure in our lives begin to mount. He says the pressure was so great that it was far beyond our ability to endure. He was saying, I don't have any energy left in this moment to live the life that I'm living. He said so that we, obviously there was a group of people, we despaired of life itself. Paul and Elijah had so much pressure on them that they despaired at life that one point in Paul's life and one point in Elijah's life, I want out. So literally Paul is saying in the New Testament just an echo of what Elijah said in the Old Testament and here Elijah sits up under a tree and says enough is enough, I'm done. I want out. And if you really study Elijah's life, he was at the pinnacle of his career. Calling fire down from heaven. He just wore the britches off the devil. He showed everybody that watched how anointed, how powerful he was. He was the great man of faith and the great man of power. And he just whipped 450 prophets. And now, Elijah, you want out? Yeah. Elijah and Paul were saying, this is way too much. We've run out of strength. We're despaired of life itself. And I've told you before that weariness means to have our sense of pleasure exhausted. So here we have a tired mind. Here now we're allowing thoughts to skew our reality, not even based on facts. And to add to it, we've got pressure. So what you've got to understand is when your mind gets exhausted, your, your sense of pleasure begins to run out, and now nothing in your life feels good anymore. When the spirit of heaviness comes, no pleasure, no happiness, no excitement, no enthusiasm, no passion, no drive, everything just goes out of you because your mind is tired. And there's somebody in this room that you are tired of fighting for you. You're tired of really no one to truly talk to. Some of you for years have been tired of pushing yourself and overcoming hurdles. And you don't have to be old to be tired. 
don't have to be 70, 80, 90 years old. Just come up against the odds all of your life with hell breaking loose at every turn of your life and you get exhausted. For someone in here, it was victory just to make it through elementary school. Because not only were you having to take care of yourself, but you were having to take care of all these other siblings, get them fed, get them dressed, and get them off to school. So it was a fight for you in elementary school. And then it was a fight for you in junior high. And then it was a fight for you in high school. You're tired. Your body's ready to go. But you're tired. Here you are, 40 years old. People saying, why are you so tired? You're only 40 years old. And what they don't know, it's not the years, baby. It's the mileage I've put on my life. That's why when you go to buy a, a, a used car, don't worry about what year it is. How many miles that book got on it? Because it could be one years old. And if it was driven long and if it was driven hard, that baby looks good on the outside, still smells like a new car on the inside. But if it was driven long and if it was driven hard, that engine's got some usage. There's some of you in here that's got some usage. And understand with me, depression is not a dirty bird word. I think it's understanding what depression is. Because there is a clinical depression. That's not what I'm talking about. There is a clinical depression that your body is not secreting something, so you do need some medicine to help you along. And guess what? You might need a psychologist or a psychiatrist too. That's a totally different story because what I'm talking about is on the screen, I believe there is a spirit of heaviness that is experiential. Experiential means that you have been through so much that it has created pressure. Somebody say pressure. Wherever there is pressure, you will find restriction. It's just like a pipe. It doesn't matter how small the pipe is. You can pass thousands of thousands of gallons through that pipe as long as the water stays moving. But you stop up that pipe, the pressure's going to build up, and there's going to be restriction, and that pipe is going to burst. And I can tell you, I believe there's somebody in this house today that we've got some restricted people in this room. We've got tired minds. We've got pressure building. And the enemy is trying to plant something in your mind because he knows whatever happens in your mind, that is your reality. So here I have Elijah. God's great man of faith, great man of power, but he's tired. And he gets up under a broom bush tree and the brother cannot think straight. A guy who just confronts 450 prophets is running from a woman. Now there's some of you that, that I would run from, but, but, but what I'm trying to say is she says, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to do to you what you did to my prophet. But what you have to understand is she didn't slap him. She didn't strike him. She didn't punch him. She didn't send an army after him. She just threatens him. Threatens him. And there is a threat that the enemy can send in your mind. And he plants it there. And that seed is so powerful that whatever happens in your head 
it becomes your reality. I'm sure, maybe you're stronger than I was, but I'm sure when you thought that there's a possibility of prostate cancer, you had some thoughts running through your mind that threatened you. Correct, Keith? He's human. We've all had them. And I guess the question is, if you have the spirit of heaviness, what threat has the enemy sent that is in your mind but does not reflect reality? Because if you're living up under any kind of threat, that threat can do more damage to you than any punch on planet Earth. Are you with me? Can I go deeper? Elijah was running from a threat. But look at it. He won, but he was scared. And I believe there's some people in this room right now. You got the job, but you're scared. He asked me to pray for him. He was frightened about the new job he got. You know why the enemy got in his head? You're not good enough. You can't do it. You're going to make a mistake. They're going to fire you. There's some of you in this room, you got married, but you're scared. You have kids, but you're scared. Because he's placing threats in your mind because he knows whatever your head thinks, it becomes your reality. Living with a threat living with fear, and it all boils down to how you think. And if you can get your head to work with you, you can get out of anything. And I know it's harder to do than to get up here and preach it. Believe me, your pastor sometimes chases threats that the enemy likes to plant. I got to work just as hard as y'all do. Are you with me? Jezebel didn't do nothing to him. But the enemy used Jezebel to plant a threat in his head. It affected how he thought. And suddenly his mind turned against him. And now he couldn't see clear. And threats and fear will always blur your vision. Every time it will blur your vision. Don't believe me? Is Elijah the only example you can give me, Pastor? No. Run on over to Jacob in the Bible. Because Jacob says, guess what? Joseph is dead and Benjamin is dead and all these things are against me. Really? Benjamin is not dead and Joseph is not dead. The enemy had planted a threat and a fear in your mind because he knows... Whatever's in your head can become your reality. So listen to me. On the screen, when you are tired and when you are weary, you will think things are dead when they're not really dead. So if you have a weary mind, weary emotions, a threat and a fear... Do not make a decision, ever. I can't stand it when people are trying to make a decision about divorce in the middle of being tired. I've told Cece, 
Never make a decision when your mind and your emotions are tired. When me and my wife got married, I, I had this huge list of things that we will never do. And on that list today is still, we will never make a decision when we are tired. Because when your mind is tired and your emotions are exhausted, you will always think something is dead when really it's only asleep. Are you hearing me this morning? And when your perception is off, you can't see things clearly. And usually when you get to the point that your mind is tired, the pressure is mounting, the emotions are tired, guess what we do? What, who said what? Run. We don't want to talk to nobody. We just hide it. I'm good. Everything's fine. And when you don't want to talk to anybody because your mind is exhausted, your emotions are exhausted, you're living with a threat, you're living with a fear, guess what? You don't have anybody to bounce things off of. So now what you just created is your perception drives your reality and you're walking in the reality of your own stinking thinking. You're walking out the book that you're writing in your head and it's probably not even a real book. Because most of the time it doesn't reflect reality. I'm going to give you an example and, and, and I'm going to get to another thing. So we got a, an exhausted mind, we got exhausted emotions, we got pressure. I'm going to give you another thing. And, and I can't exhaust every situation in the room because that would take forever. But um, I, I just want to use the example of love. Because this is the worst of all of them. Especially if you have an exhausted mind, exhausted emotions, a threat and a fear. This one that I'm about to throw in here really messes up everything. When your perception drives your reality and you think something is dead when it's not dead, when you say they don't love you, they don't love you. What do you mean, Pastor? If you are defining love based on your perception, which is a result of a personal dysfunction, now we got a whole nother set of worms. So we got an exhausted mind, exhausted emotions, th uh, threat, uh, uh, fear, pressure, and now to add that, if anybody in this room has a personal dysfunction, you a mess, alright? <laughs> so the thing is, is what we think is nobody loves me because I define love on the basis of my personal dysfunction and that's why somebody in this room keeps hearing, you don't love me, do you? You don't ever say, I'm pretty. And he's like, baby, I just told you you looked great last week. But you didn't tell me today. It's a personal dysfunction. And it's hard to fill a bucket with a hole in it. You know how I know this is a great message? Because we got so many people getting up and going. The enemy's trying to disturb people to get you to focus on them and not me. Every time I know God's getting ready to do something in you, more of you get up and start walking out and coming back in. I'm telling you, the enemy's working overtime because something's about to lift in this place. You may laugh at me, but I can discern it right now in the spirit. God is about to do something in this place. It's hard to fill a bucket with a hole in it. And when you get a hole in your soul, nobody can love you enough. 
That's why if we got personal dysfunction, this altar should be filled every Sunday saying, heal me, change me, do something in me. Worship should be explosive, especially if we got any of these things going on because worship is, is your, it's the valve to get the pressure off and to release the burdens and it's the time for God to come in and be the burden lifter. Are you with me? Because a lot of you in this room, you can't trust your perception. You can't trust your judgment. You can't trust your attitude. You got a hole in your bucket. Your mind needs to be healed. So the next time she flips out on you and says, you don't love me, just look at her. You got a hole in your bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. You got a hole in your bucket. Get to the altar right now. <laughs> Amen. Now she might slap you, but just tell her, that's what Pastor told me to do. And to him too, y'all. If he's a nut job, you know what? Sing that song to him too. <laughs> we got tired minds, tired emotions, fears and threats personal dysfunction but what I want you to know about Elijah I believe there was a hole in his soul because we all have them no matter how great we are I believe Paul had a hole in his soul but what I want you to know about Elijah Elijah and, and, and Paul is it drove them into the presence of God it drove them into the presence of God here's Elijah he thinks it's life is over now as the reader we get to understand this is the best part of his career. If you study his life, you can see it, but he couldn't see it. He couldn't see that this is the best part of his life because his perception drove his reality and because he was tired in his mind and his emotions and a fear and a threat and possibly a personal dysfunction, he fell prey to the spirit of heaviness. And here's what I want you to know. When you are tired, when you are tired, we know that we shouldn't make any decisions. So, so, what, so what, what do we know about Elijah? We know he's tired. He shouldn't be making that decision about taking his life. We know that he's running from a threat and a fear. We know that he doesn't have anyone to talk to. We know his perception is not driving his reality because the enemy places something in his mind because the enemy knows if I can place something in your mind, that will be your reality. And there's a possibility that he had a personal dysfunction. So as the musicians come, I want you to listen to me. Elijah comes and says, Lord, let me die. Now, let me die is extreme. Because I'm thinking, just give me like a week in Honolulu. <laughs> See if I can shake this thing off, right? See if I can get that mind a little bit straighter. See if I can get around somebody and say, hey, can you give me some facts? Because my perception's on I me. Mean, like dying is crazy to me. But isn't it funny how you can fight things off here and there, but you can't fight your own mind? Y'all been up against some stuff. You fought for everything, but you cannot fight the thoughts in your own mind. Elijah comes and says, God, I want to die. But here's what I want you to see, and, and, and nobody moving around as, as we come and land this plane. 
what Elijah thinks is the end is just the end of a season. It's not his life, just a season. And what I want you to know is, is everybody's going to experience the broom book. And when you've experienced or will experience the broom bush, it is a place of transition. Because if you study his life, he shifts from being the man of the hour to eventually a mentor. Because he goes and mentors Elisha at this point. But watch this. His perception drives his reality. And when your perception drives your reality, and it's off, because there's a threat, tired mind, tired emotions, you can never see yourself in another realm. You hear it? You think you're stuck there. I'll always feel this way. Nothing ever good's going to happen. It's hard to see ourselves in another realm when the spirit of heaviness is on us. But at the broom bush, we got to take the broom since it is a transition period and we got to sweep the past goodbye. Are you hearing me? We got to sweep the threats and the fear goodbye. We got to sweep the tiredness goodbye. We have to get down at this altar and sweep the dysfunction goodbye. We have to sweep the wrong perception goodbye. Because if you don't take the broom, your perception is going to drive your reality. And that spirit of heaviness will stay on you. So look at the screen. Don't define yourself by a season. That season is over. But you're not over. Now, I know when the spirit of heaviness comes, it feels like I'm over. It's a season that's passing. You're not over. Elijah comes down and says, I want to die. Now, I want to get real deep here, so wake up, shake off the sleepiness, shake off the spirit of heaviness that's closing your eyes. And, 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 and he's sitting up under a broom bush. And, and look at the screen, look at the picture. That's what he would have sat under. Here is... A perfectly green tree. I mean, it's, in my mind, that's a good looking tree. Y'all might be looking at it like, that's ugly. I, I, you know what? I love you, tree. All these other people are laughing at you, but I like you. It, I mean, look at it though. It, it's green, there's life, and it's in the middle of a barren desert. And I believe there's somebody in this place. You have found yourself at a great place, but in an ugly situation. And let me tell you something. What will drive the spirit of heaviness harder and harder? Come here, come close. You ready? Camouflage. Camouflage. Everything looks great on the outside, but inside it's a barren desert. It looks good on the outside, but on the inside things are falling apart. And for the past eight years, if you have been with me, the Holy Spirit has been trying to unmask this church. 
He's been trying to rip the camouflage off this place. Because I know you attend church. I know you stand there and look at the words passed by on the screen. But do you come every Sunday just to walk back to the hell of your barren desert? I've seen you walk in. I've seen you walk out Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And some with the same burdens. Never to lay them down in the presence of God. Look at that tree again. The farmer should know why it's green. Because wherever there is a broom bush, there is water deep beneath. But what I want you to know is there was water so deep beneath that Elijah couldn't get to it. So what does God do? God sends an angel. And there are some people in here that life did not give you naturally what you were due. Life was not giving Elijah naturally what he was due. Some of you have not gotten naturally what you're due and it's created a personal dysfunction and for some of you it was the love of the Father that was not there. For some of you, it was the lack of the love of a mother. For some of you, it was the lack of a normal childhood. So you sit here with a hole in your bucket, and only God can be the one that patches that hole and begins to fill you again. So God sends the angel to Elijah. And I believe in this church, every now and then, God will sweep into this service to compensate you for what life didn't give you naturally. And every now and then, God is a book balancer. And He says, because you were rejected, or you were rejected, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing upon your life. Because the prophet was laying there. He was ready to die. And the angel shows up. So whoever you are in this room, if you're under a spirit of heaviness right now, do not give up. Having done all to stand, stand ye therefore in the Lord. For God did not bring you this far to leave you in the transition place. God did not bring you this far and let hell circulate you just to let you go down. He will send an angel to help you. Are you hearing me? Here's what I want you to see. You've seen it. When he got there, Elijah woke up. What was on the stove? Bread. What was on the stove? Bread. What was in a jar? Water. What did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Are you hearing me this morning? For whatever is pushing you down, for whatever is driving you crazy, for whatever is driving you to the edge, do not faint. Because God's always got something cooking up for us. Amen? Sir, He knows the marriage condition you're in. Ma'am, He knows about those kids. Guys, He knows the trouble we're in, the kind of mess that we've created. But look at what the Scripture says, and I'll get out of your hair. What did, what did the angel say? What? He did. What did he say again? Don't miss that. 
He said, Elijah, get up and eat. Okay, pastor, that's nice. What that means for you is you've got to feed yourself. Don't depend on this church. Don't depend on me. The Holy Spirit is telling you, and he's been telling you for eight years, get up and eat. Get up and eat. Because you can't help the kids if you go down. You can't help your spouse if you go down. You can't help the family if you go down. Get up and eat. Now watch this. He gets up and eats. But what's he do? Yeah. He was in the presence of Almighty. Ain't healed yet. Right? Next week you'll find he was in like almost the glory of God. Didn't get healed yet. You got to come back next week to see it. But what I want you to see is this. He gets up and eats. He goes back to sleep. The first time God just says, or the angels just says, get up and eat. Because sometimes, listen to me, at the broom bush, you need to eat to take the broom and sweep the things from where you've been from. That was his first meal. To get rid of the things that he's been from. Get rid of that thought that Jezebel thought. Get rid of that threat. Get rid of that personal dysfunction. Get rid of that tired mind. Get rid of that tired emotion. Then he says, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. He said a little something different. So what he's saying is the first meal is the old is gone, sweep away the past, but the second meal is faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God for where I'm taking you you need more meat to survive the blessing that I'm going to give you so God is saying to all of us as soon as you get over what you've been through and you take that broom bush at the transition place and start sweeping some things goodbye then and only then do I have a better future for you ahead of you. Don't ever forget this on the screen. Your spirit of heaviness, you have it because you're not eating and you're not drinking on the level that you're supposed to be living. Whew, Lord. Let that hit you this week because I know it didn't hit you just then. Let it sink in, huh? That's a nugget right there, baby. You're not eating and you're not drinking on the level of your living. You always got to eat more because the future church is always greater than your past. Are you hearing me? Who here doesn't know Jesus? But you want to give your life to Jesus today. Anybody in this room? Pastor, I don't know Jesus, but I just want to give my life to him. Anybody in this room? Anybody? Okay. Here's your homework. You ready? I'm going to give you some homework. I want you to go do this. Was this good? Was this okay? 
I'm about to close. We're about to stand up. We're about to worship. Y'all get to go home. Y'all get to eat. What did he mean by the level of my living? Think it over. Here's Yomer. I want you to take two sheets of paper. Two sheets now, okay? On one, you might have to write small if, if you're only going to use one. Uh, write down all the losses in your life. Then once you write down that loss, I want you to think all the losses about that loss. If you lost a daddy, don't just put I lost a daddy. You lost a mentor. You lost a friend. You lost a coach. You lost somebody to show you daddy's love. Write it all down. And, and, and it's just you and your paper, so be real. Write down that molestation on there too. And everything that it robbed from you, your self-confidence, your self-esteem, Write down that divorce and everything that it took from you. Write down that debt that it took something from you. Write down about that domestic violence and what it took from you. Be real with yourself on that sheet of paper. Then once you are real on that sheet of paper and if you've exhausted every loss, then I want you to take that sheet of paper and I want you to have a funeral service over that sheet of paper, light a fire and have a cremation. Now you got one more sheet, right? I said two. On the other sheet of paper, write down where you're going. Write down your vision. What's the vision for your life, for your family? What's your dream? Write what you want to see over your kids, over your life, over the family, over this church. Because look at me, you cannot be depressed and dream at the same time. When your dream has a mouth so big, it'll swallow up that spirit of heaviness every time. Are you hearing me? Candy feet all over this place. Anybody get anything? You mean tell you why I preach this? Because your pastor has been at the broom bush more times than he would like to admit. Everything that I just preached to you, I have to do. Ask my wife. My mind is a terrible place to get in. Why are you laughing, sweetie? Get in my mind and it'll chase a rabbit so far down the rabbit hole that by the time I'm done, I'm dead. Seriously. Why do you think when I prayed right here for the spirit of heaviness to lift over me, when I was going to have surgery, I was convinced I was going to die. Well, on my back, those of you that have been with me eight years, you know I had surgery on my back. I didn't want to have surgery. I was going home and crying to my wife, thinking I was never going to see my kids again. Why? The enemy planted a seed in my life. He put it in my head, and it began to drive my reality because a lie believed long enough is truth to you. I've gone through these things. And I will sit at a broom bush again. Because there have been times, believe me, I've said, I'm done. I want to quit. Ain't nobody in this church listening to a thing I say. Get rid of me. I can't believe the pastor just opened up and said, I'm just trying to be real with you. But here's one thing I know. 
Every time I was at the broom bush, he sent an angel to me. And I drank, and I ate, and it lifted. I told you, church, it lifted. When I wrote my book of life, it took a while for my spirit to engulf my mind because my mind, I'm telling you, my mind, don't ever get in it. My mind was engulfing my spirit, and it was a dangerous place to be. I never felt anything like it in my life. But when I got down here and my spirit started prophesying over my mind and crushing every lie, I felt it literally lift off of me. And my wife can tell you, I walked home, and she said, you've been in the presence of the Lord. I said, yeah, I have. That doesn't mean, and you'll find out next week, that you're always complete and you're always whole and you'll never have another broom bush experience again. Every head bowed, Father, in the name of Jesus. Since this subject can be a touchy subject and every head bowed and every eye closed and nobody looking around for the courtesy of others, if you're in this place and you would say, Pastor, I'm at the broom bush and I have a spirit of heaviness on me. Would you just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up everywhere. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now look at me. I appreciate you being honest with just me and you and only I saw it. The Bible says this can be a meal that heals. I want you to treat this like none other communion service. I don't want you to get with your husband. I don't want you to get with a friend. I want you to get with yourself if, if, if you raise your hand. And I want you to take this and say, this is your body that was broken for me. It is the bread of life for me. This is the blood that was shed for me so that you could become the living water to me. Lift this spirit of heaviness off of me. It may not God lift in this moment, but teach me this week the scriptures that I need to start speaking over my mind. And I may have to speak them a week, a month, hour after hour, but I'm going to speak life over my dead thing that I think is dead but it's really asleep and I'm going to keep speaking it until I too feel the spirit of heaviness lift off of my life I promise you he will he will you get that word in you you get a good worship in you and he will lift it amen we're going to come to this table of celebration and this table of healing and I'm just believing right now that any spirit of heaviness upon anybody in this room that lifts their hand will begin to lift as she begins to sing, Father, we thank you for the body. We thank you for the cup. We, we know you're going to come soon. But Father, God, right now, do some surgery in your people at this communion table. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. As she sings, would you come? <laughs>